Uh, so this is going to be an English language session. Um, I don't know if anyone has already written any questions. Is the Dhamma team um, have any written English questions? Or not? Otherwise, if anybody just wants to ask, they can. About anything at all. It's all right if they go to sleep. Not really. No, it's more to do with your general circulation. But you can, everyone's a bit different and you can experiment a little bit. So, um, you know, sitting cross-legged, so absolute classic is like full lotus and then you have half lotus and then you can just have your, your legs like this, one in front, it's like what we call Burmese posture. Um, but uh, it's, it's quite like, I mean, even these days, my legs go to sleep if I sit for too long. Um, but the, the main thing to remember is it's not at all dangerous, so just um, be careful when you get up, that's all. And, uh, it's, uh, which I didn't do a few weeks ago when I was in Bangkok and I fell off the stage at Torsi School in front of 300 people. So that was okay. okay, so the, the, the first question, or the only question, um, could you please elaborate on the Noble Eightfold Path and its importance? <clears throat> well, the... Um, Probably the, we could say that the heart of the Buddhist teaching, um, and the teaching which is accepted by all the different schools of Buddhism, um, is the, um, the Four Noble Truths, uh, which is, um, the, uh, the analysis of the problem of human existence, um, the the cause um, the um, this, we say the the cessation of the problem the end of the problem and the path leading to the end of the problem so the fourth noble truth um, is the eightfold path so it's one part of the four noble truth and it's the path of practice how you um, go about um, recognizing the first noble truth, abandoning the second noble truth, and realizing the third noble truth. So the Buddha said the fourth noble truth is one that you need to develop, so it's something to be practiced. So last night I I spoke about Buddhism um, as being, in effect, um, the most comprehensive education system that the world has ever seen, and it is also, um, we can say, apart from being comprehensive, um, it is a holistic system in that 
all the different elements of this training or education uh, must be developed in harmony. It's not like a step-by-step progression, but they must uh, all the elements of the path uh, must be present in one degree or another. Now, um, before the eightfold path can begin, there are two main conditioning factors or supports, one external and one internal. The external um, supporting factor is um, the, the literal translation of the word would be the voice of others. What that means is information. So you need to have information, good, dependable information um, in order to get you started on the path. But that's not enough. Um, it's not a matter of you just hear what the Buddha's teachings are and you believe in them and then you're on your way. Um, the second and most important factor is uh, another word which is difficult to translate. A long word is yoniso manisikara or yoniso manisikan. And that's the ability to reflect, consider, uh, investigate the things that you've heard. So this is uh, emphasized by the Buddha right from the start. These are not teachings to believe in, but they are teachings to take away and look at and put to the test. And... um, a famous um, saying from actually from the Mahayana Buddhist tradition um, that um, the teaching should be looked upon as um, a lump of metal. So the Buddha said, um, if you, someone was to give you a lump of metal and tell you that's, that's solid gold, you'd be a fool just to take their word for it. But what would you do? Well, you'd perform all the chemical and um, uh, whatever tests that you need uh, to be sure that that really is gold. Uh, You'd weigh it or you'd take it to some expert or whatever. So the idea is that the teachings are to be investigated, reflected upon, um, and those two factors, dependable, accurate teachings and the uh, willingness to investigate, reflect upon them, this leads to the first um, element of the Eightfold Path, which you call right view. Now, in some ways, right view is similar to, to faith, or it, it's the next step after faith. You can say faith which has been uh, accompanied by wisdom and reflection, because a number of the things that um, constitute right view, um, to begin with, are more like, we could say, working hypotheses. So just as a scientist, before you, uh, you perform an experiment, you have a certain hypothesis um, or that you're, you're seeking to prove, or that you, you, assume, you make certain assumptions um, when you're uh, developing some kind of scientific research. There always has to be some basic assumption that you you take for the time being. And right view um, in the uh, the beginning is somewhat similar. Now the uh, most important 
um, part of right view is the strong confidence in causality. And that is to say that things um, occur in the external world or they, they, they occur within us um, through causes and conditions. So it's not like a God just creating something or there's not like some a heavenly being in the sky sort of blowing down and making uh, wind appear. Um, not some, uh, you can't affect the way things um, happen through some ceremony or some religious ritual or through prayer to some God or other. Things happen according to causes and conditions. And in the human realm, um, that law is expressed most simply in the phrase that we all know from childhood, tam di de di tam chua de chua, or you do good, you get good results, you do bad, you get bad results. But this um, formulation, it's, it's good because it's so simple and easy to remember, but you have to be careful um, to be clear as what that means. You say you do good, well what is good? And you get good result, what's a good result? And because people can get very confused about that. They think a good result is you get well, you get, you make money or people praise you or um, everything in your life goes well and that's a good result. Um, so uh, people say, oh, I've done all these good things and I'm as poor as I ever was or that person does all kinds of bad things and he's really rich and powerful. Therefore, uh, how can that be true? But what the Buddha is, is um, pointing at is that every time you perform a good action, um, the definition of a good action is one which is motivated by wholesome mental qualities, means like good mental qualities uh, such as uh, kindness, generosity, compassion, and so on. So if you do a good action, let's just say out of kindness, you, you perform an action, then the, you immediately get a good result because the, the power or the habit of compassion in your mind is fed. It becomes a little bit stronger through that action. So every time you act with compassion, compassion grows in your heart. Every time you act with honesty and integrity, honesty and integrity immediately grow just a little bit in your heart and that's the good result you have. But whether or not that person you help uh, will recognize it, appreciate it, um, or um, give any kind of reward, that's um, completely out of your hands. If you're living with a, in a group of really cruel people um, and you do a kind act, you might get criticized for it, uh, for being soft or being stupid. Um, if you live with people who think that um, everyone should be out for themselves um, and that uh, helping other people um, is, is just the action of fools, um, if you're really smart, you just look out after number one, then you can do good actions and no one's going to praise you for it because of the, the quality of the, um, the thinking and the level of intelligence of the people around you. But this belief that actions have consequences. Every action has a consequence, and the consequence of that action is determined by the mental state 
present in your mind when you perform that action. This is right view. This is the law of karma. So if you want to um, develop, you want to grow as a human being, you need to have more awareness of the mental states in your mind and learn how to deal effectively with negative mental states and promote positive mental states. And that's through that you change your life and you change uh, the community around you. An important um, element of uh, right view is that human beings uh, bear within themselves the capacity or the potential for enlightenment. So this is um, when the Buddha taught this, it was like a revolution in uh, the religions of the world. Um, No religion before or after um, has ever um, made that kind of statement. The Buddha said that complete freedom from suffering, realization of the highest happiness, is something that every single human being, man or woman, is capable of achieving. The Buddha is very clear about this. This is not uh, a matter of gender. There's not, uh, it's not that uh, men are better at this than women or there's any difference. It's purely um, a function of your mental um, maturity, spiritual maturity. And so that belief in the human potential for enlightenment um, is an essential part of, um, of right view. And these two are connected because this potential for enlightenment is realized through um, intelligent um, use of this law of causality, knowing how to uh, deal with positive, negative, or helpful or harmful mental states. A number of um, other elements of what we call mundane or worldly right view are the belief that we have a very special karmic um, relationship with our parents. So if you read this in the, in the, uh, the Tripitaka, the Patraipitok, the, the idiom um, is a bit confusing because it says, um, and they usually translate this literally, it says you believe there is a mother, there is a father. And you think, well, well everybody knows that already. You have to have a mother and a father before you can get born. Um, but the this is an idiom in the Pali language. Um, and what it means is that it's, no, it's not blind chance, you know, it's not um, blind genetics or whatever, that you have the parents that you do have, um, that there is some connection, some special connection between you and your parents, um, which is a function of uh, past lives and things that have happened in the past, and it's something that should be honored. And so the, um, the Buddha had this um, incredibly profound direct knowledge of the law of Kamma and how that plays out over many, many lifetimes. Um, and the Buddha, through this vision, uh, through something that he clearly saw for himself, he said that the karmic consequences of harming and hurting others um, varies according to who that person might be and the um, 
and how strong your hatred or anger towards that person might be. But um, every single act of violence, um, even murder, um, can be remedied. Um, the karma of it can be uh, remedied um, through the Eightfold Path, except um, if you kill an arahant and if someone kills their mother or their father. So this is an indication of uh, how important and how profound the relationship between a child and its parents are, that the karmic significance um, is such that harming and or killing parents is the most awful and horrific of crimes. Now there are, um, I'm just, I'm going into like just the first one of these um, eight, eightfold paths, but this is the, the um, if you get this one right, then the others, you know, tend to um, fall into place. Others are um, taking on as a working hypothesis the idea of rebirth and many different realms, there are different realms of being, um, and the um, the existence of wise and enlightened disciples of the Buddha. Those taking on those kinds of, that kind of framework, you know, like a, a theoretical framework or a un basic understanding of life as a human being um, is what will um, put you on to the Eightfold Path. Now, when you have those kinds of values, um, and understanding of life, it conditions the kinds of thoughts, the kinds of ways you think about the world. And this is the second element of the path, which is right thinking or right aspiration. Uh, I'll give you an example. If you think that the, um, the highest thing in life, the best possible thing in life is to become a a billionaire, let's say. One, you want to be the richest man or richest woman in Asia. That's, that's the, your idea of fulfillment as a human being. That would be your titi, that would be your view. And if you had that view, then uh, it's, you would imagine that you would spend a lot of time thinking about how you could make that real. And your thoughts about the world would be influenced by that. If you think that uh, the most important thing is how much money you've got, then you start looking at other people in terms of how, how rich they are. You don't think, is that, is that a nice person? Is it an honest person? Trustworthy? You don't think in moral terms. You think in financial terms. How much money have they got in the bank? Are they the same level of me? Have they got more than me? Are they superior to me? So your values or your ditty or your view influences the things that you think about. And so you create the world you live in through your thinking. So with right view, then the kinds of thoughts are thoughts which are not so tied up with the sensual world and they're thoughts of kindness and compassion and uh, creating, doing good things in the world. These kinds of thoughts begin to arise more and more naturally because they, na they grow from your view or your ditti. So these are the two, um, we call the two wisdom elements of the Eightfold Path, the right view and right, right thinking or right aspiration. And then in terms of our life in the world, um, firstly um, is refraining from hurting and harming others. 
and then developing right speech. So those two, for a lay Buddhist, uh, um, pretty well cover the same ground as the five precepts. Um, the third, the third um, element of the sila um, group is right livelihood. So you want to find um, a career, a way of um, making your way in the world, making enough money to um, survive in the world, do your duties to your family and to your society in a way that you're not hurting and harming other beings, other human beings or animals or the environment, um, a career in which you can, um, you can feel proud of how you make your living and feel that you are contributing to, at the very least, uh, not making the society and the world a worse place than it is, and if possible, a better place. So how you make your living, uh, how, you, how your career is also part of the Eightfold Path. Then the last three um, elements are directly concerned with mind training. The first is uh, uh, what we call right effort, so the Buddha says, um, this is a religion of effort. Four kinds of effort. First is to prevent defilement, or gilesa, gilet, uh, which has not yet arisen in your mind from arising. How, how do you do that? How do you uh, look after your mind to prevent uh, yourself getting angry or irritated or jealous or greedy and so on? And when those things have already arisen in your mind, uh, what kind of effort, how do you make an effort to deal with them and to let them go? This is the second kind of right effort. Third is, how do you bring all these beautiful, virtuous qualities um, that have not yet arisen in the mind, how do you develop them, how do you bring them into your mind? And fourthly, how do you look after the good qualities that have arisen already uh, and, and take them to, um, f to maturity? So this four right effort, which is the six of the eight, uh, eightfold path, uh, four right efforts, preventing uh, kilesa or kilet from arising, dealing with kilesas already arisen, bringing good qualities into the mind, and and um, developing the good qualities that are already there. The seventh is right mindfulness. And mindfulness means the ability to, to hold thing in your mind, um, whatever you need to hold in your mind. If you're working, uh, for, for instance, um, and um, you need to, for instance, you, you have some kind of problem you need to deal with in your work, then you need to be able to hold the information, the knowledge um, that you've studied in the past or the things that your teachers have told you in your mind at that moment. That's also mindfulness. Um, being able to um, be present to a situation and not let your mind wander off elsewhere. Know what's going on in your body. Know what's going on in your mind. Know what you're saying. Is, what you're, is your speech correct or incorrect? Um, so this awareness and knowing of what's what in the present moment, not forgetting what you need to remember. Um, and on the high level, this is going into the nature of the body, nature of feelings, nature of perception, nature of thought, nature of emotion, nature of sense consciousness, uh, being able to recognize all, the, all these things 
uh, for what they are and not allow the mind to grasp onto them. And the last element is right um, samadhi, right concentration. And the Buddha usually explained this in terms of jhana. So when the mind goes beyond all the um, obstructions um, that usually cloud the mind with greed and aversion and laziness and and dullness and agitation and worry and anxiety and doubt, when you're able to take your mind beyond those things, the mind starts to become calm and bright and uh, very joyful. And then uh, from there, you keep refining the mind so that the coarser um, elements fall away until the mind is in a, just a very pure, clear state. And that pure, clear state uh, provides the foundation uh, for the ability to see things as they are, which we call vipassana, and which is the, um, uh, the means by which the mind becomes free from suffering and its causes. So recap, right, uh, right view, um, and beginning with this um, belief in and confidence in the law of karma, uh, causality, the human potential for enlightenment, the existence of enlightened beings, um, the different realms of being, uh, the special karmic relationship to parents, um, developing this right right thinking, thinking without um, greed, hatred, and delusion, and uh, worldly uh, values, um, developing uh, care and attention to the way that you act and speak in the world, choosing a career which is in harmony uh, with your Buddhist practice, um, developing right, act, uh, right effort in dealing with negative and positive mental states, developing right mindfulness and right meditation or right samadhi. Um, if the question is ab- about um, our, um, how the way we live in the world these days is having very detrimental effect on the environment and whether there's, um, that's just something to be accepted or, or not. Um, well, again, if we come back to Buddhist analysis that um, however we're um, conducting our lives these days, that um, it's causal process and that we have the intelligence to be able to make changes in our life. Um, for instance, um, say how much of the um, environment is destroyed for food production. Um, I, I read just a few days ago that 40% of all food in America is thrown away, um, which is millions and millions of tons of food, good food, is thrown away every year. So um, that's a lot to do with values. Um, it's a lot to do with um, inefficient use of resources. 
And there's things that we can do about that. It's a matter of changing systems. Unfortunately, um, most people just tie it. We're always wanting to put off um, uh, sort of difficult or uncomfortable uh, remedies until we have no choice. And politicians um, have no vested interest in making sacrifices right now that need to be made because they'll get blamed for it and they'll lose power. So even in a, a democracy, you have this very, or particularly in democracy, you have short-term planning because uh, the, the people in power, their number one priority is to carry on being in power. Um, but having said that, if we look at the movement towards renewable resources now um, throughout the world, um, there is some grounds for hope. But at the same time, the uh, climate, the, the goal of um, uh, the maximum kind of uh, um, increase in temperature, which was agreed in the Global Climate Conference, um, is probably not going to be met now, and, and more sacrifices have to be made. Um, whether or not there's the political will or not um, is some, something else, and just hope that people can come to their senses because so much of the destruction of the environment is for um, unnecessary things and luxury things or things that are not used or distributed as well as they might. Um, so I, I think I need a change of, of uh, priorities. And there will, I think in the future, um, people will look back on this generation and just be amazed at just how careless and how selfish people have been over the past 50 years. And the way, you know, if you, uh, if you look at it like a, a computer or a telephone, I, iPhone or anything, and the, the minerals and the, uh, all the resources of the world that go into just one telephone or one computer, um, how you use it and then throw it away. Um, and and um, the the waste of of resources is quite incredible. I think that the um, the kind the, the one one factor that people are not talking about is uh, very much at the moment, uh, and it's incredible when you think about it, uh, is population growth. Um, because the more people you need, even if you're very careful about, I mean, just the numbers increasing so much, um, but there are really difficult religious and cultural difficulties in talking about population growth um, because the, um, the Islamic uh, religion and many um, Christian denominations feel that birth control is evil or it's against the... Uh, will of God, so they have religious objections to um, curbing population growth. But I don't think that um, the world is really going to be able to survive unless there is um, some um, effort to prevent the population growing at the rate it is. That'd be my my view. Uh, 
There's a question um, about happiness. It's one of those um, very um, nebulous terms, has many different meanings. And in English, we also have this other word, pleasure. You know, and what distinction do we make between pleasure and happiness? Um, from and to give a brief summary, what, what I, I would say this morning is, is that um, Buddhism recognizes that um, we all have a deep need, uh, a deep desire to avoid suffering and to realize happiness. But our problem is that um, we're not really very clear how to do that. And many people who don't want to suffer even a small amount create through their behavior and their thinking the causes and conditions to suffer. They want to be happy, but they don't know what are the causes and conditions of happiness. So there's a great deal of confusion. Um, one way of, um, of looking at this question of happiness is um, to look at the kind of things that give us pleasure or give us happiness in the world um, and they're usually a function of uh, things that we can see and hear and smell and taste and touch. Think about. Um, so we call these uh, sensual pleasures or sensual happiness. Um, and the Buddha pointed out um, that there are a lot of drawbacks or uh, problems about this kind of happiness um, because it is conditioned by so many things that we can't control. Um, so if you, if you love to read, for instance, and then your eyes go, you can't read anymore. We like to watch movies and you can't see the screen anymore. Uh, or you like to listen to music and then your ears um, uh, don't work so well anymore. Um, so these kinds of um, pleasures and happiness are dependent on the physical body and its capacity to... Um, uh, to derive enjoyment, and that physical body is changing, it's getting old, it's going to die. Also, um, the kind of pleasure and happiness that we derive from sensual experience um, is subject to uh, um, a certain law, um, which is that um, you have to keep increasing uh, the output to get the same pleasure. So um, you can see this most obviously when people who uh, uh, get addicted to drugs, um, you take a drug at a certain, you know, one, let's say it's a pill, one pill and you get a certain result, but you keep taking that pill and you don't get the same result. And you have to take two pills to get the same result and three pills. And all sensual experiences like this, to get that same kind of buzz, that same kind of high that you got, to begin with, you're constantly having to change it a bit or to make it more extreme. Um, and this, you see this in, in popular art, in movies or anywhere, that uh, the, um, the violence, the sex has to become more and more extreme to get that same kind of uh, excitement from it. And this is another weakness of this kind of pleasure or happiness. So it's not to say that this is necessarily bad or evil, it's one part of life and the Buddha says for a lay Buddhist as long as you're not 
um, breaking any of the precepts and hurting other people in your search for this kind of happiness, um, then it's legitimate. It's not a, a necessarily a bad thing. But it's not satisfying either. There's no real satisfaction in that kind of happiness. Um, and then we look at the um, other kinds of happiness. First, happiness of um, giving. Um, and then we call that happiness as well. When you give something to someone else, you help somebody, especially when you have no desire for any reward, then you just feel really good. Um, and not only do you feel really good when you do it, but even after time has passed, even a week or a month or a year or even ten years or more, you, you, when you th remember that good thing you did, uh, it makes you happy. So we can say this is a better kind of happiness um, in that it stays with you and it has a purifying effect on your mind. Similarly, when you keep the precepts and you're very careful um, about your actions and your speech, you develop this, it's, a, it's not like a spectacular, exciting kind of happiness, but it's just a real sense of self-respect. Uh, you like yourself, you feel, um, you like being with yourself, you be like a friend to yourself, because you're not embarrassed or ashamed or guilty um, about the things that you do and the things that you say. And that's another kind of happiness. Um, and then get on to the happiness of uh, mental training and meditation, and then you're in a whole different realm of happiness. It's, uh, it's just so far beyond um, the kinds of happiness that you can experience from sense pleasures because the basic obstacle to happiness in the world um, are defilements of mind. So the more you can let go of the defilements, then the more happiness you can experience, the purer the happiness you can experience. So in, in summary, um, the Buddha uh, is proposing this, um, this teaching that um, what we, we may not be sure what we mean by happiness. We don't really know what true happiness is, but we can, all of us, know what prevents us from realizing true happiness and working to abandon that. So greediness and selfishness and stinginess and so on, these are things we can, yeah, uh, when those things are in my mind, I don't feel happy. If you feel, uh, you know, this is mine, it's all mine, you know, I'm not sharing it with anybody, you know, that's not a very happy state of mind, is it? Um, but then when you say, yeah, sure, I've got two, you can have one, I'll have one, and you feel happy immediately. So we can, this isn't like a, a philosophy here, it's just a, a matter of observing how you feel in your life. When you feel happy, just look at you know, what's going on here, you know, and uh, how, how seldom it is that um, the real lasting kind of happiness that we experience has anything or very much to do with spending money. Uh, most, mostly, I think you'll find it's um, your mental state and the people that you're with and how much, uh, uh, how much you love them, how much you respect them, um, how, how good a friend um, that person is or those people are or it's your family. 
and human relationships um, a cause of suffering also, but also have the potential for great cause of happiness. So um, the Buddhist teaching is say, yeah, this is exactly why we meditate, to be able to answer this question, what is happiness, what is not happiness, what can we do to increase the amount of happiness in our life and decrease the amount of suffering. <coughs> okay, I think that's enough for this morning. So there'll be um, another um, question and answer session this afternoon, but that one will be in Thai language. And there'll be another English session tomorrow morning. But for the remainder of this session until midday, then uh, we can uh, sit in meditation. So please um, take your meditation posture. <clears throat>